You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. Good morning, everyone. So we are continuing our series on, uh, on the parables of Christ. Again, thank you again. Um, and uh, we are on week five. We are going to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. How many of you know this parable? You're, you're familiar with this story? So we're, go- we're just going to talk about that and um, hopefully glean what we can learn uh, from, from this story and also receive from what the Holy Spirit wants us to receive and um, that we could be like the Good Samaritan. Now, I'd like to re- uh, request everyone, please uh, stand up as we honor God's Word. Well, I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 10. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And we will begin from verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him, And beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him. And bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Verse 36, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the richness of this story. And we thank you that you want us, Lord, to walk in the fullness of your love for us so that we can express this love to others. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, just as Angelo was sharing a while ago. Lord, open our eyes as we hear your word. And Lord, let our hearts burn with the the truth that comes from your word, so that we may live by your truth. And Lord, as we live in your love and express your love to others, may you be revealed in and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may all take your seats. Thank you. So this story is actually one of the most famous uh, parables of Christ. Uh, Last week, we talked about 
in the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son um, that probably is the most um, the most um, famous of all of Christ's parables and um, here this parable actually has been has been uh, interpreted in in uh, so many ways in history uh, and most of the time it's been interpreted allegorically you know and that uh, we don't have time to do that today we're not going to do this to interpret it allegorically but but a lot of people <clears throat> like I said uh, when they interpret the parables they assign what they think the parable means they over spiritualize what Jesus said you know and um, but remember the point of parables is this Jesus shares parables so that he can emphasize what one point he is basically communicating one point okay one thing from you know and uh, <clears throat> in some of the parables that Christ uh, shared he interpreted the parables to his disciples uh, and um, and there are parables that he did not just interpret, but allowed the audience just to see the meaning of it and, and hear the meaning of it and discern the meaning of it. And in this particular parable, we see Jesus really did not explain anything here, but the story itself screams of what he was trying to say. Okay, and so let's let's go let's go and dive into this story. And uh, the context here of this parable is found in the first uh, few verses that we read. Again, verses 25 through 27. <clears throat> and let's look at that. And it says here, <clears throat> Behold, a lawyer stood up <clears throat> to put him to the test. Now, it's interesting, a lawyer. Okay, um, <clears throat> uh, This lawyer wanted to put Jesus to the test. Why would he do that? Now, who would do such a thing? It's someone who's trying to, basically trying to pro either prove you wrong or someone who's trying to uh, really seek out the truth and they're testing if you're the real deal, okay? And this lawyer, uh, in some translations, like in the NIV, I think, it says they're an expert on the law. So this is a, a person who is an expert in the law of Moses, okay? Expert in the Torah, so as we, could, as we saw in how he answered Jesus, Okay, so, uh, <clears throat> but he wanted to put Jesus to the test. Now, how many of you uh, always put God to the test? You know, <laughs> and uh, many times we're guilty of that. But uh, just to put a little bit of context here, a lot of the, a lot of the, the people who were in the religious, uh, who were religious leaders at the time were actually baffled with Jesus. They didn't know how to handle him. And so some didn't, some saw that he was not credible. Uh, some saw that Jesus was uh, a, you know, a fake, that people are just, you know, a, a popular fake. But uh, that's why they're trying to discredit him so that they could win the people back. They could, you know, they would, um, they saw him as a threat. And so the scribes, those who would uh, be writing, um, writing the laws of God, no, not writing the laws, so they would, be, um, they, they were the leaders, so we have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and the teachers of the law, and the experts of the law, and in this case, this lawyer. Now, to give you a, a bit of context, a lot of these leaders actually feel the same way about Jesus. And in Luke chapter 7, just to give you a context here, the, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. Not that they said... That God, we're going to reject your purpose for us. We are going to establish our own purpose. 
That's not what they did. As a matter of fact, they were very, very um, zealous for the law of God. They were very zealous for their religion. But they were so zealous, they were so focused on their structure, their system, their, their way of doing life, their traditions. They're so focused on their identity around their religion that they didn't realize they were already drifting away from God and from His purpose. And a lot of people today are like that. They're very devoted in their belief, in their religion, but they're very far away from God. Jesus did say that in Matthew 22. He said, you honor me with your lips. You speak the right words, but your heart is far away from me. Your worship of me, of me is in vain. You teach, you teach uh, you know, man-made rules as if they were the word of God. You equate those man-made rules with God's word. But a lot of people are so zealous for that. And so this lawyer was there trying to put Jesus to the test, not to really see uh, the truth, but really to try to trip him. And that's what they've been doing all this time. The whole time that Jesus has been uh, followed by people, the Pharisees were following him, trying to look for a loophole so that they can get him and so that they could discredit him. And now here, an expert in the law was here trying to test Jesus. Okay? Um, and so here, let's look at their interaction. Verse 25. <clears throat> Sorry. And, uh, <clears throat> and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, was this a question? Was this a, a, is this a valid question? Yes. Actually, this is a question a lot of people uh, ask around rabbis. Now, Jesus was considered by many as a rabbi, so they would uh, ask him questions. And so this teacher, this um, uh, expert of the law, asked him this question, this usually ask, frequently asked question among rabbis. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And, uh, but it's actually a, um, a, uh, a very, what you call this, um, loaded question. But he was not really seeking to know what the answer is. He was wanting to know what Jesus would say so that him as an expert in the law could trip him. And Jesus said to him, <clears throat> so he was asked a question, Jesus answered with a, with a question. And look what, he, look what Jesus asked. What is written in the law? Now what was his profession? Again, he was a lawyer. He was an expert in the law. And so what is written in the law? How do you read it? You see, Jesus is the master. So, uh, <clears throat> and here he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And this is the lawyer saying this. Again, you could, you could tell that he really was an expert in the law. Because some other place, what he answered is, is, uh, is the Shema, which is uh, the reference to God, being the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is the greatest commandment. And then the second greatest commandment, he quoted also from the book of um, Leviticus. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. You see, he knew what to say. He knew the right things to say. How many of you are here, you know what the right things to say? 
thinking, you know, don't, please don't think that if you can say hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God, amen, with snaps at the end, like that, that you're, you, you're in. <laughs> don't deceive yourself into thinking that. So this lawyer, actually, his answer was correct. Okay? And it says here, and uh, love God with all your heart, soul, your strength, and your mind. In other words, with all your being, with all you, uh, with all you are. And then the, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. So basically, he took the, the greatest commandment and also this one from Leviticus. And then he said, th these two actually make up uh, the whole law and the prophets. Now, when you, when, when you read the Bible and you read people referring to the law and the prophets, that's pretty much the entire Old Testament. Now, they don't, of course, they, during this time, they don't refer to it as the, as the Old Testament. They just refer to it as their, the scriptures, okay, the, 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 their Torah, okay? So the, the five books and then all the, the, the law is, you know, the Pentateuch or the Torah. Those of you who are in Leadership 113 will be knowing about that. And then, uh, and then the law and the prophets, so writings of the prophets. And uh, Jesus himself said this, that these two commandments, are, these are the two greatest commandments. And these two summarize the entire Old Testament, entire scriptures. If you can summarize the heart of the entire Old Testament, it's these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The two greatest commandments. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Again, there's so much, there's so much to unpack here. And I would like to focus on the parable, okay? So, so what about eternal life? You see, can you really, can you really be, be, you know, um, attain eternal life by fulfilling the law? Is that what is being implied here? No, actually, if you really look at everything that they were talking about, it's, it's actually faith that is manifested through love, okay? So you, the Bible says, it says in, in the New Testament, you know, we are saved by grace through faith, but this faith is is walked out through love, okay? Through love. Galatians 5 says that. So here he was correct, and Jesus saying, do this and you'll live. And then here, the lawyer wanted to justify himself. Remember, you know, to justify means to be made right. Okay, so um, how many of you use word, a word processing uh, app? word processors, right? Sometimes, you know, you know, you know the word justify? Either, either you left justify, you right justify, you center justify. That means you put it in, the, in their place, in the right place, okay? So, to be made right. <clears throat> so, he wanted to justify himself. You see, if you look at Scripture, it's God who justifies us. We cannot justify ourselves because of our sins, and we don't have the capacity to save ourselves. That's why we need a Savior, would you agree? <clears throat> so there's nothing we can do. Even you can be the most pious, you can be the most religious, you can be the most sincere Christian or believer and still not walk in eternal life. Sincerity does not cut it. You see, uh, you can be 100% sincere but can also be sincerely wrong. Right? Sincerity will not qualify you. So here, this lawyer was trying to justify himself. And he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? 
who is my neighbor? So you see, this expert in the law, have you ever spoken with people who know, who we know they are experts in the field that you're talking about? And they're asking you questions. They're not asking you questions to, to learn from you, right? They're trying to drive the conversation. They're trying to lead you so that they can catch you. They can tell you the, how grave an expert they are. That this is their, their cup of tea. This is their field, okay? I, I'm the expert here. So they're driving the conversation. So he was driving the conversation. And who is my neighbor? Was he really asking who, who his neighbor would be? Now he's trying, again, he's trying to trip Jesus, at least in his mind. So let's just look at those word neighbor. And this is when Jesus shared the parable of the Good Samaritan. So since they're talking about, he was asking about neighbor, let's look at what the word neighbor is. Uh, <clears throat> you know, how many of you know what neighbor means? So this commandment today, if we don't understand the context and we don't, you know, we just take the, the, the sentence, love your neighbor as yourself, and then without understanding the context of that and put it in our, in our 2017 context, you'd say, how can I do that? I don't even talk to my neighbor. How many of you know your, your, um, the neighbor to your right? How many of you know your neighbors, actually? The one across you, the one beside you, the ones beside you, and the ones behind you. How many of you actually know them? <clears throat> some of you are like, um, some of us know, some of us don't. Right? We don't even associate with them. So, so how can we love them? <clears throat> and then here, in, according to the Jewish tradition, a neighbor... According to them, at the time, okay, at the time of Jesus, they viewed neighbor as a fellow Jew, not a foreigner, not even half-breeds, okay? Not, not even, you know, how many of you are half something, you know, half, <coughs> you're humans, okay, I know, but... <laughs> Your ethnicity, your ethnic background, or you know, you're 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 multicultural. You're Filipino and American. You're Chinese and American. You're you're Japanese and uh, what else? How many of you are half? Can I see? Okay, so we have one there. Anybody else? Okay, you're half. I am assuming Chinese, right? Okay, who else? Yes, sir. Vietnamese and. Filipino, okay, great. What else? Uh, who else? <laughs> Some of you are saying, is Ilocano and Visayan, would that qualify? <laughs> Probably, I guess. And for those of you who are non-Filipinos, what are you talking about? See, that's, that's, that proves my point. So, anyway, <clears throat> they, they, saw na the, you know, they saw the word neighbor. They understood what neighbor is in these terms. A fellow Jew and not a foreigner. Now, you see, the Jews had become very ethnocentric. Um, that's why they referred to non-Jews as Gentiles. You know, much like a lot of ethnocentric cultures, um, <clears throat> the Chinese culture for, for how many hundreds of years referred to non-Chinese folks as barbarians, right? The Roman, uh, Romans during the Roman Empire referred to non-Romans as barbarians. 
Okay, so, and usually that's, uh, and they refer to those barbarians or Gentiles in, in a derogatory or pejorative way. Okay, so <clears throat> they didn't see foreigners as their neighbors. But the Torah, what's interesting is this, the Torah, what the, what what the scriptures teach them, is that the neighbor, your neighbor is anybody, any human being that you relate with. Whether they're Jews or Gentiles. It, doesn't, it didn't really say. It included, it included everybody. So you see, there's, there's something that they're missing here. They're misinterpreting the, their, their Torah. They claim to be experts in their, in their Torah, but they're mis- misinterpreting it. And they're blinded to it because their traditions are upheld so much uh, by them, they don't even bother researching their own scriptures. Okay? <clears throat> That's why the lawyer said, who is my neighbor? <clears throat> so, neighbor, basically, when God looks at it, who is your neighbor? When, you say, when God says, love your neighbor as yourself, basically, it's loving other people. It doesn't matter if, whatever, it doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your cultural background is. As long as that's another human being, God says, be loving towards them. Because that's how you demonstrate and that's how you exemplify or manifest my love for them through you. <clears throat> so here, Jesus uh, shares the parable of the Good Samaritan, we, which we have read from verses 30 to 35. And um, the first uh, group of characters we see there are the robbers and the victim. Okay? The certain man, which we can only assume as, as a Jew, because Jesus was speaking to a Jew... So, and this, this man was walking down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this is basically like a, probably a main road, but it's not, uh, you know, a well-populated area. So these robbers were waiting for people to ambush, ambush them. Okay? And when people would, would be near, they would jump, jump on them, beat them up, remove their clothing, strip them, and then probably take their possessions and then leave them half dead, <clears throat> okay? Half dead, mo- or mostly dead. I mean, if you've seen The Princess Bride. See, he's not all dead. He's only mostly dead. If he's mostly dead, then he's slightly alive, okay? So, so this guy, this guy's on, on the road, half dead, and nobody was helping them. He was left there, bleeding, and, uh, you know, he was a victim, this is the neighbor in need. And then we have a priest and a Levite, basically two, two people who came across this man at, cert, at different times, but they saw the wounded man on the road, but they walked on the other side. That's what it says there. They walked on the other side. This man was here. They're going to be encountering him. They walked on the other side. They basically avoided the man. This is a priest. A leader in the community, one who we look up, they looked up to, <clears throat> one they would expect who would <clears throat> exemplify uh, compassion. But this priest probably, <clears throat> you know, uh, and this, and then this Levite basically is, it's um, <clears throat> the, the, the uh, you know the descendants of Levi who were tasked to help uh, the priests in their priestly um, duties. 
Okay, so basically the, the priest and the Levite were the religious elite. Okay, <clears throat> they were the religious elite. <clears throat> and the lawyer was a member of the religious elite, right? So, but Jesus didn't say, see, he didn't say, okay, that was you. See those two, that represented you. Jesus didn't say that. But these two represented the religious elite. And they avoided this man when they saw him. What, what could be possible reasons? Number one is because of it was customary. Because uh, in their tradition, they were not supposed to be touching dead, dead, the carcasses of dead things, dead animals or even, even, uh, even, uh, even a dead person. Okay, especially if you're the priest, because you will defile yourself. That probably was a reason. Okay, and the Levite as well was that like that. Another reason would be, um, you know, probably some prejudice. I don't know. We're just so we're just thinking about possible reasons, right? They saw this guy. This is probably, I don't know. He's so bloodied. I don't know. Uh, better be safe than sorry. So they walk on. So there could be a numerous, um, I mean, numerous reasons why they avoided the man. But the man was there, dying. And they just walked past the man. So <clears throat> could it be a religious culture? Could it be a social culture? Uh, now, here's a third character, <clears throat> another character that walked on the road that saw this wounded man was the Samaritan. Now, Samaritan, now imagine, Samaritans were, uh, were basically, this Samaritan was a cultural outsider. Again, the Jews are very ethnocentric. And then for Jesus to include a Samaritan in the, in the story, for a Jew, you would think, a Samaritan, huh? Nothing good is going to come out of this. Samaritan, okay? Because <laughs> Samaritans were half breeds. Okay? They were, they were the descendants of, uh, of those who were of, of uh, people who intermarried with the Jews during the time of the exile. So when, when the northern kingdom of Israel was exiled by Assyria, and then, and then, um, and then uh, the southern kingdom of Judah was exiled by Babylon, there were other, there were remnants there. And then those, those uh, superpowers would repopulate the lands that they have uh, conquered with other people. And so these were repopulated there from other, from other places, and they intermarried. Again, the, the, the identity of the Jewish nation was no longer there at the time. So they intermarried, and they, produced, and they lived in Samaria, and they were called Samaritans. But when the Jews, some of the Jews were returned, <clears throat> when they returned to, from the exile, they did not, and see, they were, these Samaritans were part Jews. They wanted to rebuild, help the Jews rebuild the, the temple and the, and the wall and to rebuild their nation. But the Jews said no. So they were discarded. And so the animosity between the, the Samaritans and the Jews were really great. Okay? And so <clears throat> here, is a, a Samaritan is a cultural outsider. And uh, they, Samaritans were reviled by Jews of Jesus' day. <clears throat> but this Samaritan saw the man who was, we assume, as a Jew, and he had compassion on him, the Bible said in the story. <clears throat> he had compassion on the man, 
Enough so that he stopped where he was going. And then he helped the man. He helped the, the half-dead man and bandaged his wounds, you know, nursed his wounds, and then put him on his, on his animal. Uh, you could see the, the, the condition of the man. He couldn't just help him up and carry him like this, so he had to put him on his animal. And then he, he, he checked the man in, 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 an, in an inn to take care of him. And then he still needed to do his business somewhere else. So he told the innkeeper, here are two denarii. Please make sure that he gets what he needs. To take care of him. And then if you, uh, if you spend more than these two denarii, I'll reimburse you. I'll repay you when I get back. <clears throat> and then we see here this man. I mean, did he have to do that? He didn't have to. But actually he did. And then the, another, <clears throat> another character here is the innkeeper. Actually, if, this is just a foil. You know, just so that uh, he need, there was an inn, so there needed to be an innkeeper. But he was not that important uh, to the story. <clears throat> um, so he was just a foil here in the story. So, and then after saying this, Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the man who... The one who showed him mercy. He didn't even say the Samaritan. He didn't even want to say that. The Samaritan won. Or the, it's the Samaritan, the, the one who showed him mercy. <clears throat> and Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So you see, uh, Jesus reversed it. <clears throat> Jesus reversed, reversed the conversation. He was asking, who's my neighbor? And here Jesus was telling him, be that good neighbor. And it's amazing how Jesus uses a, an outsider to mess up, their, to mess up this lawyer's uh, framework, frame of mind. I mean, how could, if you're a rabbi, how could you? I mean, there's nothing good about Samaritans. Why would you even use them? But Jesus used them to prove a point. <clears throat> some implications of this as we, as we wind down here. Some implications. First, the first one. It is, not, it is not so much about who our neighbor is, but more about being a good neighbor to others. That's what Jesus did. See, it's not about who is your neighbor. Everybody's your neighbor. The question now is, will you be a good neighbor? Are we like this? Are we good to people because they're good to us? Or do we show the goodness of God to people, even those who are undeserving? If they're undeserving, if we're left to ourselves, our default would be, they're undeserving, I don't care about them. They don't exist. Talk to the hand. They're talking to you, talk to the hand. I'm not talking to you. My hand is talking to you. Second implication is this. When we love our neighbor, we will move in acts of compassion, generosity, and mercy. When we truly love. You see, it's not enough to say, I love you. Or it's not enough to say that you love people. Okay? The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Just to know if it's really good. Right? 
It's not enough for you to say it. People will know that you are truly loving when they see you do it. And usually act, love is expressed in acts of compassion, acts of mercy, acts of generosity. <clears throat> if you do a study of the word compassion in the New Testament, in the life of Jesus, every time it mentioned that, that Jesus had compassion on people, he didn't, it didn't stop there. He always, it was always followed with an action by Jesus. He got involved. He did something that demonstrated his love for those people he had compassion for. He got involved. Acts of compassion, generosity, mercy. What about we as today as a church? We're here in victory. This is nice. This is, this is air-conditioned, very, very comfortable seating. Um, hopefully nice, uh, nice experience here. I like Victory Church. This is nice. We're here not just to stay here on Sundays, but we're here because of a mission. Are we moving in the love of God towards others? And we will see that through our acts of compassion, acts of mercy, acts of generosity, giving of ourselves. Third implication is this. <clears throat> when we love our neighbor, we will not entertain religiosity and prejudice. You see, you can be very, very pious, very, very religious, and still not move in love. What did Paul say? The apostle, say, uh, the apostle Paul say, if I can move mountains, if I can do all these great things, if I can prophesy, I can, I have, I can move in, in all these tremendous spiritual gifts. But if I have not love, I, what did the Apostle Paul say? I have nothing and I am nothing. Love our neighbor. As yourself if you truly love your neighbor you will move even beyond religiosity and you will not move in prejudice the Sabbath this man was crippled and you know and Jesus saw this man this is a Sabbath day they're not supposed to be doing any work on a Sabbath day he saw the, the, the this this paralyzed this layman and he had compassion and he healed the man on a Sabbath People were rejoicing, but here come the religious leaders. Why did you heal? That's work. Didn't you know that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath? You missed the point. God moved in a, a powerful way, delivering this person from this bondage. And you're very, very legalistic. You'd rather say, do that on Monday, not on the Sabbath. How many people are like that? They're very legalistic. Legalistic people are usually not very loving people. Another implication is this. When we love our neighbor, we will welcome disruptions in our lives. We will welcome inconveniences. We will welcome even uh, you know, added expenditure. We will welcome even danger. When we move in love, 
we will allow ourselves to be disrupted. How many of you like your schedules and you don't like your schedules to be bothered? When you plan it for the week, you have a plan for the week, nobody rocks the boat. And somebody, can I have time with you? No! I did not schedule you next week. But you have a lot of time this week. But because you've already set your schedule, you don't want to rock the boat. And somebody's in need, and you go, uh, let me see you two weeks from now, okay? Where's the love? Real love will allow, once if you move in real love, you will allow disruptions in life. Come on now. You will allow inconvenience. You will allow yourself to be inconvenienced. Come on now. Here in the United States of America, we are so, so in love with the idea of convenience that we don't want to be inconvenienced. The question is, are you loving? Expanse is, oh, here we go again, we give, we give again, here we go. Giving is a manifestation of love. You would even put yourself in danger. That's why missionaries go to, where, to, to places where they might be in danger. The Moravian missionaries, they said, you know, they would even go to leper colonies and risk becoming lepers themselves. But they said, you know what, we will do that so that the lamb might receive the reward of his suffering. They would put themselves in danger so that these people who are lost, nobody's reaching out to them, Somebody, Jesus, would, could reach them through us. We are his hands and feet. Do we really love? In this light, can you say that I am a loving person? Now, there are themes here that we could see going back to, this, to the passage, to the, to the parable. We see here the theme of loving God above all and loving others as yourself, right? The two greatest commandments. And then here we see Jesus saying, go and do likewise. That's what he was saying to his, to his, uh, to his, to, to this lawyer. Yeah, you know what to say. You know, it would be great if you could do what you said. Come on now. How many of us know how to recite? We can recite for God's love, you know, for God's love of the world that he gives one and only son. We all know these things. But are we living what we're preaching? You see here, it's amazing how God puts all things together. And, and as we look at Jesus, you see the way we love people, the way we love others, gives us an idea of, the, of, of our understanding of why we're here on earth. Gives us an understanding of the mission of God on earth. And it also gives us an understanding if of our representation of God. We are not just blessed by God and we don't have a relationship with Him so that we can, He can keep us Himself. No, He wants us to know Him so that we can make Him known. He's blessing us so that we can be a blessing. Let me read to you a few verses and then, and then we'll, we'll be ending. A new commandment, Jesus said, I give to you, that you love one another. And you see, when you talk about loving others, it's, about, it's loving the lost, 
and it's also loving God's people. Okay? And here Jesus said, love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This is how the world will know if you are real, if you are really my disciples, if you love one another. This is the testimony to them that what you're saying is, is true. It's not enough just to say, I'm a Christian. How many hypocritical Christians do we know? How many people that you talk to in, South, in San Francisco State would tell you that they know a lot of hypocritical Christians? That's why they don't go to church. They don't believe in Christianity because of these people. They go to church. Oh, I go to victory. I go to this church. But they live like children of the devil and proud of it. And then when they try to reach people, they are ineffective. And when we, you see here, our love for others is actually, if it's genuine, it's actually a, a manifestation of our love for God. Proverbs 19 verse 70 says this, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Do you love others? You know, when you demonstrate it through acts of kindness, acts of love, acts of mercy, acts of compassion, acts of generosity, that touches the hearts of people and they say, wow, why are you doing this? It's like what uh, either, I think it was either Christine or Jevin who said this, you know, we're just doing this because we love, you know, because God loves you. Why would they go all the way from Hawaii to be, to be rejected in San Francisco State? And, 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 and persevere in doing that, it's because of the love of God in them. And they're sharing that love to others. James 1.27 says this, Religion that, our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So you see, it involves you being sanctified but it's also you being used by God as an agent of that sanctification as an agent of his kingdom to touch the lives of people with the message and with the life of God in us and it, look, look at this one focuses on others before self right and it's looking after this is, this is love in action and then Matthew 25, let me just read this. I'm not going to explain this to you. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him, He will, will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to this. This is Jesus saying this. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came, came to me. And then the people, you know, the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we, see, when did we feed you? When did we see you naked? That we clothed you. When did we see you thirsty? That we gave you a drink. When did we visit you? When were you sick? We did, how did this happen? We can't recall. And here, Jesus said, and Then the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, 
as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You manifest the love of God by loving others. And when you do so, you're really showing the king that you love him. It's not about the people you're reaching. It's about loving the king. His love is so great in our hearts. It's overflowing that you can't help but share it with people. Whether they reciprocate that love or not. Whether they deserve it or not. God, our father, our king, loves those people. And we are his extension. We are his hands and feet. We are manifesting his love. We represent him. That's why we were made in his image. To represent him. And in, so you see, it's in acts of kindness, but also when you talk about loving others, the great, one of the greatest things you can do is respond to the call of God to reach them with the gospel, to make disciples. And that's why Jesus said, as I have, I've, this Father sent me with his love, so am I sending you, sending you with his love to go and make disciples of the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all, everything I've commanded you. And when they learn God's, Jesus' commands, and when they learn to obey, that obedience is a manifestation of their love for Him. You see, when you say you love others, you will care for them, for their needs, as the Holy Spirit leads you to, to meet those needs. But you will care deeply about their spiritual need. And that's why it will burn in your word of God will burn in your heart. And you will be compelled to preach the gospel to them because not because you know you, you hate them or you're right, but because God loves them. And they need to hear this message. They need to hear God's love for them. Amen. So I'd like to leave you with this. Can you all stand right now? We've gone over time, sorry. <clears throat> Genuine love for God ultimately finds expression in our love for others in the context of our mission. See, it's not just, it's not just the love of God expressing in social responsibility. No. Yes, that's an aspect of that. That's why we are a socially responsible church. But that's a part of it. If that's all you do, then that is a truncated gospel. You see, for the gospel, for people to come to embrace the gospel, it, has both, it needs to be demonstrated through those acts, but it also has to be proclaimed. The proclamation of the gospel. And then you go out there on your mission to make disciples. And as you make disciples, you show them the love of God by meeting their needs, by caring for them, raising them up to be the, the people God's called them to be, and equipping them to be disciple makers out there. And equipping them and then teach them to grow in the love of God so that they can share God's love to others as well. This is what it means. These are the implications for us when we love God and we love others. Our love for others is actually a manifestation of God's love for us. Amen? And this will find expression in the context of our mission. Father in heaven, we thank you. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be self-righteous like, like the lawyer. 
Lord, root out every self-righteous spirit in us, every self-righteous mentality in us. Lord, help us open our eyes, Lord, so that we can move, we can move with compassion. Lord, remove the blinder of religiosity and even the blinder of prejudice or the blind, all these other blinders, Lord, achievement, um, expertise, all the things that we trust in, that we determine that have value, but in the grand scheme of things, they're nothing. So Lord, teach us to love, just as you loved us. And teach us to express that love to others. Lord, through our acts of kindness, acts of mercy, and also through our act of preaching the word to them. That is an act of love. And as we make the signs, Lord, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts so that we would allow ourselves to grow in love and allow ourselves to be disrupted, to be inconvenienced, Lord, to be generous beyond, Lord, beyond measure, Lord, because we trust that you will be the one to meet our needs and bless us abundantly. So, Lord, today, I pray that you would transform us and give us a heart of love and compassion for others. Because when we move in compassion, your power flows through us. So, Lord, today, we, we just pray that you transform our hearts and our minds and help us understand your love more and more so that we can express it to others. Help us to overflow with your love, with your unfailing love, that we would have the confidence to go out there and express that love. Start to pray. 